Uh, you can turn now to the back middle portion of your worship guide, uh, or if you have a Bible, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, if you missed the introduction, my name is Mike. I'm the pastor of Christ Church Halifax. Really glad to have you worshiping with us. We began a series going through the book of Ephesians last week, so this is week two. Uh, last week, we focused on the introduction or the preface to the letter to the Ephesians, just verses one and two. That was our main focus. And in that, if you look at the beginning of Ephesians, you can see who was written uh, by, who it's written to, and, and somewhat of the essence of the entire letter. Th- this letter was written by Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Uh, that title, apostle, means that he was a sent one. He was somebody who was hand-selected and commissioned by Jesus Christ himself to help lay the foundation of the church. Paul wrote this letter sometime around 55 A.D., he likely wrote it from a Roman prison. Uh, he wrote it to, uh, to churches in the Roman province known as Asia, uh, to churches that were in and surrounding the ancient city of Ephesus. Paul writes in this letter to Christian men, Christian women, Christian children, uh, who were the very first generation of Christ followers. Ephesus wasn't a very friendly place for the Christian faith. Paul, who administered there for a couple of years, how he'd gotten to know these churches, he was chased out of the city. He was almost killed uh, for preaching the gospel. But these people that he writes to, they stayed. They continued with their nine to five. They stayed in their homes and their family and the, the place where they had grown up. And so now Paul writes to them on how they're to follow Christ in a culture very antagonistic to their faith. This morning, what we'll be focusing on, if you look at the text, is mostly verses 3 through 6, which is the beginning of a very long section in Ephesians that runs all the way from verse 3 to verse uh, 14. I mentioned this last week that uh, in, in in the Greek, which is what Paul wrote in originally, verses 3 through 14 is one long, uninterrupted, run-on sentence of Paul's. It's an exuberant, joyful, long-winded, in the good way, uh, three-part celebration of the work that God has done, the Trinitarian work, the work of the Father, the work of the Son, the work of the Spirit in winning lost sinners like you and I. Again, this is a a very long Trinitarian celebration. Over the next three weeks, we're going to be working through all three parts of this opening celebration from verses 3 through 14, uh, the way that it seems that Paul has organized his thoughts in this opening prayer. Uh, But this week, we're 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 cutting it a little bit just for clarity, um, and we're just looking at verses 3 through 6. 3 through 6 begins this long celebration, and it celebrates, in particular, the work of God the Father choosing us to be in Christ. That's that's what we'll be looking at. I'm going to invite Brittany forward, and she's going to be reading for us from Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1 to 6. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Our Father, we we love your word. We're thankful that you're not silent, that you speak to us still. Lord, would you fill us now with your spirit so we can truly hear 
so that we can deeply understand this word, so that our hearts can be shaped by your love as we sit under your word. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. When Paul writes to the Ephesians, the first thing that he wants to do, the first sort of instruction that he gives to these new Christians living in Ephesus is that they should celebrate. That's what he wants them to do. He, he, he wants the Ephesians to be glad. Uh, for for the, the, the tone, uh, the melody of their life to be one of joy and celebration. He wants them to be overwhelmed, to be grateful that God the Father has chosen them to be in Christ, to join him in celebrating and in worshiping this very thing. They, they might have had a, a rough day, a rough week. He doesn't know what he's writing into, and yet this is the note that he gives to them. Be glad, celebrate what God has done. We see the celebration beginning in verse 3. I want you to look at the text this morning. If you have a pen, that might even serve you a little bit because I'm going to ask you know, for you to underline or circle. You can just do it with your finger if you don't have anything. But the beginning of the celebration starts in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You could just translate that as praise be to God. This is what, this is what Paul starts off with. And then Paul gets into why they should praise God the Father. If you look at verse 3, and you can start circling these nouns and pronouns that I'll read off to you, um, so you can see a pattern of Paul's thought. He's giving a shape and a direction to their worship. Verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, that's referring to God the Father, has blessed us, that's Christians, that's the Ephesian church, in Christ. You can circle that. All right? So why should the Ephesians praise God the Father? Why should we say, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ? It's because of this. Because the Father has blessed us in the Son. Look at verse 4 for another one of these. Pay attention again to the pronouns. Uh, again, even as he, that's the Father, chose us, that's the church, in him. That's referring to Christ again. Again, why should the Ephesians, why should we praise God the Father? Why should we be glad? Again, it's because he chose us in Christ. Now look at verse 5. Look at the text. All right, this is the same move. In love, he, that is the Father, predestined us, Christians, for adoption to himself through Jesus Christ. Again, why should we celebrate? Why should we worship the Father? Paul answers in, in the same way. Because the Father adopts us. He chooses us. He predestines us through Christ. Last one. There's another one. Look at verse 6. Just the middle part of verse 6. Uh, with which he, that's the Father, has blessed us, that's the church, in the Beloved. Uh, that's a title that's frequently used for Christ. He, he is the beloved, the one and only beloved Son of God. Now, I'm not trying to be pedantic, but do you see a pattern here? Right? Christians like us, Christians like the Ephesians, are to worship God with, with a particular direction, a particular focus. They are to worship God the Father because he has blessed us in Christ. And the specific way that he's blessed us in, in this opening section, verses 3 through 6, is that he blesses us by choosing us, by predestining us to be in Christ. One of the chief reasons, if you want to think of ways, why should I celebrate? Why should I be invited into worship right now? It's because of this. God chose you to be in Christ. The theological word to describe this is the word election. If you're trying to describe God's choosing, this is the word you would use. You'd use the word election. 
When the Father chooses someone to bless in Christ, that's called election. And Paul tells the Ephesians this, you should celebrate this. This word, this concept, this idea that I'm sharing with you, it should cause you to sing. Your faith and all the blessings that flow out of it, listen, it's not an, an accident of history. It's not a mistake. It's not something that you can brag about. It's not something that anybody else can brag about. Rather, it's due to God the Father's work of election. Paul digs into this doctrine, this somewhat mysterious doctrine of election in our section. He minds it so that you and I can understand it more, but also so that our praise can be fuller, can be more dynamic. And, and there are really two parts, two sides of election that he wants to tell us more about. Paul is going to help us understand both the nature of election, but also its effects, its causes, what it does to a person. So that's, that's what we'll look at in our time together this morning. We'll look at three aspects of the nature of election— and then three effects of election. Again, three aspects of the nature of election, three uh, effects of election. So first, three aspects of the nature of election. Let's try to understand it more. The first thing that Paul wants to show us about the nature of election is that it is the foundation for all of our blessings. All of the blessings that we enjoy in Christ, God's election is the very foundation for it. If you look again at the end of verse 3, so look at it in your text, Paul tells us that the Father blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Then, then if you look at verse 4, it goes on to say, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Verse 4, you could read it as Paul answering a question which verse 3 kind of brings up. How did God bless you in Christ? This is Paul's answer. By choosing you in Christ. Every spiritual blessing that you might enjoy in Jesus, uh, the things that we were singing about this morning, uh, forgiveness in the cross, uh, increasing, growing in holiness, being adopted, welcomed into God's own family, inheriting a rich inheritance one day in heaven. The foundation for these gifts is the Father's choosing, His election of a people. Now, uh, Imagine you, uh, you know, you were living long ago in a, in a very poor area. Um, you had poor health. You had no money to speak of without hope for your future. And, and then one day, joy of joys, you find out that an uncle who you never really knew, um, he chose to leave you an immense fortune. And this completely changes your life, right? You've, you've went from having nothing to suddenly having everything. You get the health care that you needed. You're able to, you know, finally leave something for your kids when you go. You're able to be philanthropic. You're able to give to people who are in need. Now, imagine if years later, somebody is looking at your life, seeing the changes that have happened, and they ask you, how did you get so wealthy? Well, you know, what, what do you attribute your health to? Uh, how did you get so blessed? It would be beyond silly for you to respond, well, it's because I'm so good-looking, <laughs> because I'm intelligent, because I've really, I've managed my money well, right? That, that would not only be silly, it would be a flat-out lie. The foundation of your current status, your wealth, your health, really the only thing that you can point back to is not your choice, but your uncle's choice, right? Your blessings really have nothing to do with you. They were all received as a gift. And in the same way, when Christians consider all of their blessings in Christ, the forgiveness that they've received, the peace that they might have, 
any positive changes that they've seen in their life since coming to Christ, the joy they have, the hope they have for the future, the church family that they've been given, uh, in tens of millions of years from now when we're enjoying the bliss of heaven together, there's only one foundation for these blessings, and it is the Father choosing us to be in Christ. It is his gift, not us. So that's the first aspect of, of the nature of election. It's the foundation of every blessing. If God didn't choose to give it, to bless you in Christ, you wouldn't have it. A second aspect of election's nature is that it was done before time. It predates time itself. Part of the nature that Paul wants to grasp, wants us to grasp about the nature of election is that it was accomplished in eternity past. If you look at verse 4, this is how he says it. He, again the Father, chose us in him, that's Christ, and when did it happen? You know, when did this choosing take place? Verse 4 says, before the foundation of the world. In Greek, the word for world there is the word cosmos. That, that, that's, that's the universe. That is created existence itself. The Father chose us to be blessed in Christ way back then, before there was anything. Look at verse 5. This is another way that Paul describes it. He, the Father, predestined us for this blessing in Christ. Before you or I could joyfully decide to follow Christ, God decided that we would do so joyfully. This isn't fate that's being described here in Ephesians chapter 1. Fate is, is a, you know, like an impersonal force that works against our freedom, that bends us to, his will, to its will, but, but God's predestining us, uh, it works within our freedom. It gives us freedom. It doesn't move against our will, but his willing before time makes it possible for us to will in time. God's predestining us works within our freedom, uh, not against it. Now, if this blows your mind a little bit, I've seen a, a few, more than, more than a, a couple pairs of eyes glaze over at some point when we're talking about this. Um, that's okay. It's, it's meant to blow your mind a little bit. But what I want you to see, why I'm referring you over and over again to the text, is that these ideas are in the Bible. They are written very clearly here in Scripture. It's impossible for us to avoid, so we have to consider it this morning. Some people think that the doctrine of election or of predestination, it's the result of really bored theologians gathering together, and they're like, okay, we need to write a book. We, we need something to justify our education, so let's just talk about something so complex, so out there that, you know, we'll, you know, we'll, be, we'll be known for our theological prowess, but that's not the case, all right? As we go through Ephesians, as you read through the Bible, I hope that you'll see over and over again with your own eyes that these are deeply biblical ideas. Uh, John Stott, uh, the, the, the British theologian, he put it this way, in a way that rhymes. He says, the doctrine of divine election is a divine revelation, not a human speculation. That's a good way of saying it, right? So, this is something that you need to see is biblical and that it happened before the foundation of the world, God's choosing. <clears throat> so first, part of the aspect of the nature of uh, election is that it's the foundation of all our blessings, that God's choice preceded ours in a mysterious way. It caused our choice of Christ. A third aspect of the nature of election is that it's rooted, its root is in God's love. His choosing us is owing to his own good pleasure. Now, people make decisions. They make choices for all kinds of reasons. You know, we make choices of necessity. Okay, I've got 10 seconds to eat. I'm just going to grab whatever I can find in the fridge. Uh, we make choices under duress. 
I've got, you know, two choices to make. I've got to pick a school to go to in the fall. I'm going to have to decide on one. Uh, or I'll, I'll take this job because I need the money. We make choices based on chance. You know, I'm just going to flip a coin. I don't really care what the outcome is. I'm just going to choose one or the other. Often we, we, we get the privilege of making choices based just on joy. You know, a groom who stands across from his bride on their wedding day, about to make a vow, he makes this choice very gladly. Now, of those options of choosing, and there's probably lots more, um, what's the nature of the, the Father choosing us? What, what type of choice was it? Is it a subconscious choice of his? You know, he barely puts in any thought to it. Is it a tough choice, like a Sophie's choice, between two bad options that he's presented? He agonized over it. He couldn't make a decision, but look, he just had to. Is it just the equivalent of the divine coin flip? Uh, you know, he, he didn't put any thought to it. He's like, oh, you know, let, let, let the chips fall where they may. Was it a tough choice for him? A choice between two bad options? Was it a choice that he made under personal duress? Somebody forced his hand. He made a decision that he didn't want to, but he had to make it. Look at how Paul describes it at the very end of verse 4, going into verse 5, he says it this way. In love, he predestined us. If, if you're in Christ and you wonder, why did God choose me? It wasn't because of something that you did. It wasn't because of something that anybody else did. It wasn't because of any kind of like external force that forced his hand. The answer is this. Because of his love, Verse 5 goes on to describe one of the, the greatest blessings of God's choosing. When God chose us, he chose us to be adopted as his heirs. It says there, as, as sons. This could be just translated as uh, legal heirs. In the ancient world, you know, both men and women would be adopted, but it was, it was the sons who would be the, the inheritors, the ones who would receive the father's inheritance. And when God adopts a people for himself in Christ, we're given an eternal heavenly inheritance. And if you look at the middle of verse 5, um, look at what motivated God to make this choice. It was his love according to the purpose of his will. Again, his choice was entirely free. It's according to his own pleasure, to his own will. This could be also translated as according to his goodwill. I love the way that the 19th century preacher Charles Spurgeon puts this. This is what he said. He said, I, I believe the doctrine of election. Because I'm quite certain that if God had not chosen me, I should never have chosen him. And I'm sure he chose me before I was born, or else he would never have chosen me afterwards. And he must have elected me for reasons unknown to me, not found in me, for I never could find any reason in myself why he should have looked upon me with his special love. Hear what Spurgeon is saying. If we gave God a reason for choosing us, we could also give him a reason for not choosing us. The wonder of election, the thing that we're called to celebrate, to, to rejoice over, is that when God chooses anyone, he chooses somebody who's undeserving. Whenever he chooses to bless someone in Christ, it's owing to his love, owing to his good pleasure. So, so that's, a, that's a very quick look at three aspects of the nature of election. It's the foundation of all of our blessings, it was done before time, and it's rooted in God's own love and his goodwill. Not a choice that we make, not anything external to him forcing his hand, it was a pleasure for him to do this. Now what I want us to do is to look at three effects of election that Paul wants us to see in this section. When God the Father chooses for a person to be in Christ, what effect does it have on them? 
Maybe another way to ask this question is, how can we know if we've been elected? How can I know if I've been chosen by God? If God elects somebody in eternity past, is there a way for us to know in the present if that's happened? What changes should we expect? What should we see in such a person? And there are three effects of election that Paul alludes to in verses 3 through 6. And these are the three. Holiness, boldness, and praise. These are the changes that we should see in somebody who has been chosen by God. Uh, Growing holiness, growing boldness, and growing praise. Uh, First, look at holiness. Look at verse 4. When God chose us before the foundation of the world... Why did he do it? Middle of verse 4 is, is very clear, right? That we should be holy and blameless before him. God doesn't choose us to salvation just like he didn't rescue ancient Israel from Egypt to just live how they wanted to. No, it's with a purpose. It's so that we should be holy and blameless before him. Now, in one sense, God's people are already holy and blameless. If you are in Christ, when God looks at you, he sees Christ's perfections. Someone who's been elected by the Father, though, there is more to this. Another way of seeing this is that we're becoming more holy and more blameless. Someone who's elected by the Father is becoming more like the Son, Christ, that we are in. So like a branch that's connected to a life-giving vine, we're producing the same kind of fruit that the Son produces. This is how Jesus said it in John 15. He said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit And that your fruit should abide. Are you growing in holiness and blamelessness? That is positively, are you you increasingly keeping God's commands to love him and to love your neighbors? Negatively, are you refraining from such disobedience? Do you increasingly love what God loves? Increasingly hate the things that he hates? Even if you still find sin, you know, like nipping at your heels, can you say the trajectory of your life is that you're steadily growing in godliness? See, God the Father has elected a people, and one of the effects that has is that they're growing in holiness. So if you're a Christian here this morning, and this isn't happening in your life, this should be a concern for you. This should be a real concern because God's electing uh, act is a power it's a force on us and one of the things that it affects is growth in godliness in increasing holiness a second effect of election is that is that it causes people to grow in boldness to become more and more bold in verse 5 we hear this good news in christ we're adopted we're treated now as god's very own sons we we get to pray to him as father and he treats us as his own dearly loved children paul often returns to this theme adoption uh, over and over again in his letters it's often called the crowning blessing of salvation it's among the greatest joys that christians have and in his letter that he writes to the church in galatia paul writes it this way he says but when the fullness of time had come god sent forth his son born of a woman born under the law to redeem those like us who were born under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Now listen to what Paul says is the effect of this. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Do you see how Paul understands 
what God's choosing us for adoption should affect in us. We no longer approach God like slaves. We never, no longer come to him in prayer or in worship like he is a harsh taskmaster ready to smack us. Rather, we approach God boldly like dearly loved children. We get to cry out, Abba, Father, these are terms of tenderness towards God Almighty. And maybe you've seen me on a Sunday or after the church with my own children climbing on top of me before I come to preach. They've got boldness. <laughs> like they, they know that I'm their dad. They know that they're my children. And so they take advantage of that relationship in a good way. All right? Um, they're bold. They act like they're my kids, like they expect to receive my affection, my attention. Are you growing in this kind of boldness with God the Father? Are your, <laughs> your, your prayers are actually quite revealing to this end. Do you pray often with an expectation that you'll be hurt? Are your prayers warm, like having a conversation with a loving Father? See, this is one of the effects of election, that we are to grow in our boldness with God because he has chosen to adopt us as his children. If the pattern in your life for worship or for prayer is a coldness towards God, a distance with him, if your prayers are not bold at all but are timid, perhaps they are formal and they are solemn, it's not like you're talking to a loving father, but you're speaking to a judge or to someone with whom you have no real relationship with. It. That should be of concern to you. That isn't what election affects. Election makes a people who not only grow in holiness, but who are growing in their boldness with God. They're adopted. They're his kids. He is their father. They feel peace and freedom to come to him whenever they wish. The final thing that election affects is praise. One of the ways we can know if we are chosen by God, one of the evidences, one of the fruits that we could see to see, uh, to ask ourselves, have I been chosen by God, is that we find ourselves praising him for his glorious grace. Look at verse 5 for this chain of thought that Paul gives. He, the Father, predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. As we said at the very beginning, this section in Ephesians, verses 3 through 14, is, is a long Trinitarian celebration. And in verse 3 through 6 in particular, Paul celebrates and he invites the Ephesians, he invites Christians to celebrate with him God the Father's choosing us to be in Christ. But here, at the end of our section, in verse 6, he reminds us again to praise God that all of the Father's work has praise as its ultimate goal. To the praise of his glorious grace. God's chosen people are a people who praise, who rejoice, who celebrate. They are people who are humbled by God's kindness to them, who marvel at his choosing them and praise him because of, because of this. If you hear this good news of Jesus Christ, whether as we sing it, as we read it, as we meditate on it together as a church, you reflect on, your, on a life of, of sin and misery and shame, and yet you, you hear the good news. Out of his sheer love for sinners like you and I, he sent his son. He sent his son to die so that your sin could be crucified. He raised his son from the dead so that we could be raised to new life. And if you, when you hear this good news, you celebrate, you rejoice, you are glad that this is a true story given to you. That's one of the effects of election. 
It causes our hearts to sing, to be glad at the good news of God's glorious grace. Your heartfelt praise to, to God for his kindness is an evidence that God has chosen you. Now let's conclude with this. The doctrine of election, the matter of God's choosing a people to be his own, it is, again, a divine revelation. It's not a human speculation. It's meant to be the source of celebration. But honestly, it can kind of trip people up. When they consider election, it raises uh, maybe more questions than it gives answers. And if, if you're curious, if you've got some questions about this, I would love to chat to you about it over lunch or you know, over coffee at some, uh, at some point. But it, it brings up questions like this. If, if I'm not elected, am I just you know, without any kind of hope? You know, what, what about all of the offers in the Bible that everyone's welcome to, to come and to receive the love of Christ? What, what about those offers? Uh, when I was little, I, I, you know, and, and still to this day, I, I, I wrestled with questions like this. These, these are real questions to ask and to wonder about. And I can remember uh, 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 an illustration that my dad gave me. It's, it's very well known. It wasn't original to him, and, and maybe it'll be of some help to you. See, this morning, if you're here and, and you find yourself, I'm just not interested in the life of following Christ. This is not for me. You're living in ways that you know you shouldn't. You feel distant, you feel cold towards God. You don't, you don't even feel the desire to, to worship him at all. You're, you're not sure if you're elected, and quite you're, you're, you're sure that you're not. Listen to the invitation that's being made to you this morning. There is a free and honest offer given to you. You are called to come to Christ this morning, to repent of your sin, to believe in him, and so receive life and forgiveness. That is the offer being made to you now. And the illustration that I was told to reconcile these kind of disparate thoughts was to imagine in front of you a huge cross that had a doorway built into it. And, and as, you, as you approach this door, you see written above it the words uh, that are found in the book of Revelation, that are found throughout the scriptures. Whoever's thirsty, come in. If you, if you desire the waters of life, forgiveness and peace and restoration, come to Christ. All are welcome. And if you choose today, now, to walk through that door in faith in Christ, if you were to look back once you've gone through and to see the door again, above it, written on the inside, is something different. It's the words of Ephesians chapter 1. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Everyone is invited to come freely. The invitation is open, it is honest, it is available to you now. Whoever you are, whatever you've done, wherever you're coming from this morning, you are invited to come, to drink freely of the waters of life without cost. But the thing that Paul wants us to, to celebrate this morning, to remember, to in all eternity to, to celebrate and have joy over, is that though we've chosen to follow Christ in time, the reason why we did so the very foundation of these things is that God the Father graciously chose us to be in Christ. Thanks be to God the Father because he has chosen us to be in Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are we're in awe of your kindness. Lord, though it would have been just for you uh, to leave us as you found us in, in our darkness, in our death. Yet in your mercy, you chose some to be yours. 
Father, would you, would you cause us to celebrate, to find joy in this truth? Lord, for those who hear the invitation to come to Christ, God, would you, would you help them to respond? Would you help us to respond daily to that call to come to Christ in repentance and in faith? Lord, would this, would this be a transformative uh, work uh, in our hearts? Lord, we, we acknowledge that we need your grace. We need your power and your presence. And so we commit ourselves to you, uh, celebrating not our, our own ability to choose and to follow you, but rather your choice of us. For these things we give you praise. Amen.